Yes. All right. Here we go. A second one. Can you believe it? I know. With but for more. Yeah. Welcome. If this is your first time listening to the Super Testing Bros podcast, if it is your first time, I recommend going back and checking out our previous edition. Um, but this is volume two. Uh, I'm James. Uh, this is Dan. Hey. And uh, we've got a couple of guests. Um, they work with us here at Pushpay. Uh, just to help discuss with us our subject for today. So I'd like to introduce uh, Sana and Avanti. Um, Sana, do you want to say hello? Hi, I'm Sana. Uh, my Twitter handle's at BigShika. I'm an engineer at PushPay. I engineer things. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, Avanti? Okay. Hi. Hello, everyone. I'm Avanti. I'm working at PushPay since a few months. And yeah, I will, I'm working as a QA engineer and before that also I have like a couple of years experience in QA field and and I have some development background as well. Cool, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, so we've got our team developer with her, with us today, Sana. Um, and the reason for that is, is the topic we've, we want to cover today is, is a process we use here at Pushpay, I know a couple of other companies use it, but it's not widely used yet, and we call it WOMING. James, do you want to just briefly explain what WOMING is? Yeah, WOMING, okay, we'll try and do, I'll try and do that without using the word WOMING, but WOMING, or WOM, stands for Works on My Machine. You can remember it because it's the sound a lightsaber makes. WOM. Aha. Uh -huh. Yeah. Sorry, that was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you uh, like it. Yeah. Uh, what it is is the process of testing on a developer's machine before going any further with uh, with a piece of work. So it's, it's taken the philosophy of testing early and testing often a step earlier and a step more often. Yeah, exactly. Actually, I'll tell you how... So my woman story, uh, I worked at a company where we were heavily reliant on Team City to deploy to all our testing environments, and Team City went down for about a week, and so for a, a day or so, I would just kind of mill around finding other things to do without doing any testing, while people tried to figure out what was wrong and try and deploy our to our to our staging environments. A couple of days later, it was apparent that this was going to take some time, so I went and sat with a developer and said, "Look." This is not going to get to staging. Let's just test it on your machine. And what we figured out was that, that was actually way better because uh, we were testing things locally in this development environment and getting to you know anything, any issues we found, we were getting to before we even had to worry about deploying. Cool. Well, there's, there's been a couple of cases myself where I've worked with a developer on their machine at other workplaces and. I would suffer from the feeling that the developers sat there with their eyes boring into the back of my head, get off my machine and let me do some proper coding. Um, so it does take some adjustment, but uh, I'll bring in Sana here. As a developer, from your point of view, how does warming work for you? Um, so the QA sort of wanders over, sits down next to my machine and breathes on the code and suddenly you see all the things that are terribly wrong with it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that didn't do that before. It's <laughs> a thing I say a lot. Yeah. And um, Avanti, how does how did you did you want before you come to push pay? Actually, I didn't have much experience about warming, or in other terms, we call it like dev box testing, like for 
it's very few experience I had before the push me, but after I came here, because it's agile world, we do very agile environment, our developments and everything going on very quick and quick releases and we have short sprints kind of that so time is very valuable for us so like when we have time for warming and when we do warming it saves us all the time i feel like often and like continuous testing like before we get the proper release or proper build for testing it's really useful for the developer and tester and I, I guess for whole team because we can identify defects or inconsistencies or many things and it's huge collaboration within the team like within developers and maybe be if BA can they know that as well if there's a capability and we identify is the requirement correct and is is it working properly and everything and it's I feel like it's more teamwork so it's very useful so after I came to Pushman when I started doing it regularly I feel it's really good and it's really productive yeah it's, it's, it's a lot more collaborative for sure definitely makes you go faster too yeah um, how has it or Avanti, with you as a developer's background and Sana as a, as a developer yourself, does it give you any insight into the testing mindset? Um, uh, what I mean is, does it make you a better tester uh, coming from a, um, a developer's point of view? Yeah, def definitely. It helps to sort of um, think... Uh, it as a developer, you tend to sort of focus a bit, uh, you tend to get fixated on the happy path, but knowing that you have to get that wand, you have you also have to think about the bad inputs as well and so on, and that really forces me to do those, preferably before the warming happens and then James finds a new one and, oh God. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. totally agreed with Sana because sometimes... Uh, when developer is focusing on happy path or basic flow and stuff and then he can be forgotten there can be corner edge cases we can't see and maybe tester who has more testing experience like he has faced too many usages and everything and he will see oh that can be happen inside this and he can give he or she can give insights of okay what about that how do you handle it within this? Yeah. Just a question, and then it will expose you to a new era or maybe something very thoughtful. Yeah, I've, I've found with the developers in my team that um, they they ask themselves, what's Dan going to ask me? What's the little Dan in my head going to tell me to look at when he comes and sits with me? And when I come over, they can say, I've already looked at this, this, and this. And that saves everybody time. Yeah, you don't you don't need to double up on that. Yeah, there's even the concept uh, of uh, rubber ducking. Rubber uh, double ducking. Rubber, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, which is, in case you haven't heard of it, uh, comes from the idea of putting a rubber duck on your desk and explaining a feature to the rubber duck, um, so that 
by explaining it to uh, an inanimate object, you figure out what the problems are uh, through having to, to give that description. Uh, and sometimes we can feel uh, we're not quite as inanimate as a rubber duck. Well, I am. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah, I, I quite often find that I'm filling the role of a rubber duck. That's uh, what it's meant is that I've uh, certainly with some of the developers I work with, um, we've done this enough now that I can go to their desk, they'll start explaining something, and without me having said a word, they'll say, "Come back in five minutes." Yeah, because I, I get that a lot. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, actually. Go away again and come back in 10 minutes. Yep. Yep. So. This also leads into talking sort of about uh, cross-functional teams because we're, we're talking about an agile um, setup, I guess. Yeah. Not everyone has uh, a situation where they're in a cross-functional team tester sitting alongside developers. I've worked at places before. One of the first companies I worked at, I sat on a floor of testers and to talk to your developers, you had to go downstairs. Hmm. That's very old school. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm very old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> really? Um, how do you think this would work in that sort of a scenario? Oh, off the off the cuff, I would I would say that if you're working in that kind of scenario, and you particularly if you're a developer, this is some of the developers in those places can really lead. Is go and just call out to the QA help. Come and talk to me about this particular functionality before I commit it. Um, go and have coffees and bring up and talk about what you've been working on, what you're currently working on. Start having those conversations earlier, even if you can't get them to come down onto your floor. Just throw a question out in Slack or whatever you're using. Um, hey, I'm working around here. What advice can you give me of things I should look out for? Um, get those conversations going earlier, ask those kind of questions. If it's really not feasible, just ask another dev to come and sit with you, someone that's not involved in the feature, and talk to them. Rubber ducking again. Yeah. Uh, my first internship was at Google, and one of the biggest differences between where I'm currently working now and there is that I still have no idea where the QA in Google is. <laughs> Like, I don't know if they were in the same office or somewhere else, or we'd just go into these stand-up meetings and they'd say, oh, QA has given us these bugs. And then they'd go away and work on them. And it just seems like comparing the two, there's just a huge loss of teamwork and collaboration and fixing things earlier. Wow. That. Really surprised by that. I'd always heard that Google's quite progressive... Um, yeah, um, there's a 20-page um, PDF going around of Google's software engineering practices, and I read that as well, and there's no mention of QA anywhere in there. Um, it does go into the cafeteria food, but it doesn't mention QA. It's kind of wow. awful. Wow. Google, if you're listening, sort it out, but, yeah. but please don't take us out of your search results. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have some kind of experience, like... My previous experience, so I was assigned to some project after the development phase is completed, and so I didn't have any idea who was the developer developed that feature. So I just had specs or something. So if I really need to understand the logic or if I really need to have very basic depth information about how code works or something, maybe about integration or something, 
I had to find my tech leads or project managers and go through them to that developer. So I think warming is very useful for us in that case. So we know who develops this and we can directly talk to them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's important for everyone to remember yeah. that there should never be an adversarial relationship between developers and testers. We're all on the same team and we're all generally nice people. Yeah, I mean, we, we approach it here with the, the viewpoint that the, the developer is, is the holder of the quality and the, the QA are there to assist with that. And it's up to them how much they use us as a resource. Um, I know in a lot of companies, we talked about it briefly last week, but the QA is the holder of quality, the gatekeeper. Um, and I think that formula just leads to conflict. Whereas making the developer responsible for quality um, and giving them good tools to, to ensure the quality, um, Woming is, is one of those tools that they can really make use of. Um, one other thing I did want to ask you, um, I know around the office here we have different approaches to Woming. Um, how, how do you approach it? Do you drive or do you tell the developer how to drive? It depends. Uh, I find as I've built up a relationship with different developers in my team that uh, we warm differently. Uh, sometimes I will push them aside and grab their mouse and keyboard and do stuff. Sometimes I will sit there and, and direct them um, or just ask questions, what happens if we do this? You know, Have you thought about auditing or something to that effect? Uh, it really... It's the importance of, of building a relationship with the people you're working with and knowing how they work um, as to how as to how you do it. Yeah. Uh, Son, as a dev, what do you prefer? Do you prefer to be driven or have a backseat driver telling you how? Um, I prefer the backseat driver style just because I, I get quite anxious and <laughs> I start touching everything. <laughs> it's like, oh God, don't touch that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not done yet. <laughs> yeah, and um, that I can um, point out. Okay, so we this is what we intended, and so on, and click through, and so yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah so I tend to backseat drive quite a lot in myself. Um, the process I use is I, I will rock up to the dev and first I'll ask them what they've self tested. I trust them enough not to. Um, elaborate the truth on that. I might pick holes in while you were doing this, did you look at that? And things like that. We may have to go over some ground again. Um, but there's no, no point in doubling up on things if they've already self-tested it. Um, then I'll just ask them questions. Have, what, what about this scenario? What about that use case? Have you thought about this? And we'll explore those and explore those avenues and go down those routes as we go through. Um, and then at the end of the conversation, we'll finish with a bit on. So when this lands in, in QA, in production, what are we going to check to make sure it's merged correctly? What use cases are we going to use? And that, I find, frees me up a lot so that I don't have to sit there and babysit the deployment as it goes on to QA and goes on to prod because the developer's sitting there anyway watching it. Um, and it it makes me a lot freer to help other members in the team as well. Um, but, Anthony, how do you how do you do it 
Yeah, for me, uh, at the start, I let them go through the happy path first, the developer, and then I start like my approach. And then I am about to find out how negative parts of alternative parts working and different journeys. And in the same time, for me, it's a mobile team. So we, most of all the time, we have iOS and Android both working in same same thing, same mm. features. So for us, if it is iOS ticket, I always try to compare how Android works, is it the same way? And normally, if the other developer is also available, we grab them there and we talk about how the logic works. Is it same or what are the depths, what are the limitations for both both of them? Oh, yeah, I'm interested so, in how that works with mobile as well. Do you, uh, does your developer have a simulator on screen that you use yes. or you use a device? Yes, they are using simulator, but sometimes if it is really can be affected like device specific or iOS specific thing, mm -hmm. we tend to use uh, physical devices as well. Yep. Normally, they used to use emulators most cases. Is that just because it's faster? Yeah, yeah, it's faster and it's already in their machine configured and everything. So, But sometimes we have to use physical devices, definitely. And we have sometimes we have to compare how a simulator versus device works. So it's mostly depend on the case we are testing or warming. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you mentioned that you um, skip over the stuff the developers self-checked because I find I go through that anyway like I will actually repeat it in front of the tester to make sure that um, like my goal with warming I feel is as a developer is to give the QA all the context around the problem that I'm solving with this particular patch code thing and so um, and so that they have all the information they need to decide how to test that when it goes into QA and production, production and so on. Um, so yeah, I, I try to start from the very beginning, generally. Yeah, so, I mean, there's, there's often bits that we will recover mm -hmm. and I will ask questions of, when you were going through this, did you look at that particular screen to make sure this value was correct? And mm -hmm. quite often they've not thought of that, so we have to redo it. Um, but it just starts with a conversation so that yeah, they open up with what the problem is they're trying to solve and they'll often talk to me about, I've checked these very obvious happy paths. If the problem's more complex, we'll end up redoing quite a lot more of it. If it's just making a new button appear, then there's quite often not many test cases to go through. So it's it can be longer waiting for them to start up that particular branch and all the services that go with it than it takes to have the conversation if I did this and I'm only, it's only this simple change, cool, go for it. Okay, Daniel, what do you think about how much time we should consume for warming? So I think it depends a lot on the ticket. Um, again, there's that sort of imposter feeling you can get if you're on a developer's machine that I've had in previous workplaces. Uh, so you, it's important to foster and, and grow the, the right kind of culture to support warming. Um, but I think it depends on the ticket. If you're spending an hour warming, 
then I would probably argue that maybe the ticket's too big and that it should be split yeah. down into smaller pieces. What do you think? Yeah, of course, because I was thinking uh, we are running on very tight schedules. Most of the times we have time frames. So we actually test after this. This is uh, before test run, kind of. So I, for myself, I would like to spend 10 minutes to 30 minutes for one ticket kind of if it is like normal scale ticket there can be extreme cases like you said like maybe it will take one hour or so but most probably i would only like to spend like 10 to 20 minutes or 30 minutes for one ticket hmm. james how long do you want uh, yeah again it, it depends it can be you know a matter of seconds sometimes we've Change the typo, it looks fine. Yeah. On. Um, just raising out of something you said there, Avanti, I think as well it's important to note that this is not the end of testing. No. Um, warming, I, like I love it, it's really valuable, but it doesn't cover things like um, integration. Uh, you know, uh, testing on a developer's machine is not the same as testing a full size yeah. data, database. Data set. Data set. Um, so it's a step in the process, and it's definitely a time-saving step, but it doesn't replace uh, staging and all that sort of stuff as well. Yeah, I, I find that probably 85% of the testing can be done in warming, just picking a, a rough number that feels right. Um, science. Science, yeah. Yeah, yeah. alternative <laughs> facts. Um, <laughs> I... I think it also depends on what kind of ticket it is as well. Like I find for things that have a lot of UI elements, uh, warming will be far more useful than, Q, uh, than code review even for um, determining that the code works and that it does what it's intended to. But sometimes there's some fairly sort of back-end heavy stuff that is quite difficult if not downright possible to warm. Yeah, there's definitely some integration elements and um, communications between systems that you need to be upon the full QA environment with all the bells and whistles running to make sure that it, it works end to end. Mm -hmm. um, but you can do, you can still do in those cases a lot of the functionality and get a lot of confidence from it, and then you just need that final couple of use cases. Um, rather than spending an hour when you're on QA, you maybe spend ten minutes instead because you've warmed for the rest of it. Uh, but UI, that's a really good um, point, actually. That UI is something that you can do quite a bit from a uh, warming point of view, mm -hmm. but you still need a decent chunk of time once it lands on QA to make sure it's okay in various different browser types. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not generally something you sit and warm. Um, a lot of developers are either on Windows, in which case there's not a good Safari, version or the other way around they're on Apple and they've not got a good IE version um, so you, once that lands in QA you can then get access to those other tools where you can make sure it is is good in all the browsers. Is there a good IE version? <laughs> so my, my front-end developer friends tell me that Safari is now the the, the browser that we the poop on. One. Yeah. Um, to a given value of good. Oh. <laughs> cool. Uh, any further final thoughts or comments on warming? 
Uh, that's one thing. Like, I used a warming as to collect some details about how depth we should test. Like, if it is like uh, very uh, functional related and very big area, it can be affected. So I used to collect some information from developers. Like they have very good knowledge about how data set works or what are the things maybe logics they have used and they they can have some ideas about okay how those things affect to other areas and I try to collect those things like try to find out okay is there anything related to let's see if it is like uh, you you are a developer is using one array and how that array works with when it goes to the front end yeah something like that i try to collect those kind of information about the background so then i can focus on my testing when it get to the real world or when I get the QA release. Yeah, it, it gives you a really good chance to learn about what the feature is and um, f be able to have a think about it and focus on it when it lands. So, one question. Um, we've talked a lot about how wonderful warming is. What, are the, yeah. what do we think the negatives are or the pitfalls or easy traps that you could fall into if you become too reliant on warming? What things you still need to be aware of? Well, I kind of I've talked a bit about integration testing already, or should I say, testing in an integration environment with other code fixes, um, with a, a bigger data set. It's important not to miss out on that stuff. I think it's important to remember that uh, when you're warming with a developer, that you want to, even if you're not controlling the machine, to, to drive what's happening. A less confident tester, I think, can sometimes sort of fall back and let the developer show you what they've done without pushing and asking questions. Yeah, I think cultures and and relationship between the dev and tester is very important here. If you've got a a dominant dev and a quieter QA, there's definitely the risk that the the dev will the the QA may be shy to ask the difficult questions. That they might feel more comfortable doing on a on their own environment, and that's about fostering the right environment and the right team and building the right team to to really get the best value out of it. Yeah, and there's no harm in. I know I've been in uh, warming situations where I've said, "What happens when we click on that link?" And the developer said, "Oh, well, I haven't changed that," and I've said, "Good, let's." click it anyway just to see that it hasn't changed. That's the kind of thing that I think is important to, to, to push and drive because uh, some, you know, 99 times out of 100 it, it won't have changed but it's the one you want to catch. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's better to be a little over cautious and I think that's where their QA bring their quality. Yeah. So they can be a little more cautious and distrusting of the code than the dev will be. Cool. Uh, yeah. Brings us to a close for episode two, I think. Yeah. Great session. And uh, thank you both, Sana and Avanti. Thanks for having us. It's yeah, great. of course. It's, it was a pleasure to talk about what we do day-to-day -day basis. So it's my pleasure.
Yeah, and as always, if you have any questions for us or if you want further questions for Sina and Vansky, you can get in touch with us on the usual channels. So Yeah, flick us a tweet, jump on the Facebook. We'd, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, so it's at Super Testing Bro because character limits. And uh, the Facebook, Super Testing Bros. Yep, or supertestingbros at gmail.com. Awesome, and we'll uh, be talking to you soon. And I think the next topic is going to be security testing. <laughs> yeah, we've got some great guests lined up for that one uh, again. So we'll see you then. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.